barriers to faith, things that would block our way to have full faith in God. A few weeks ago, we noticed that some are hindered in their faith because they look at God as being, look at God as being so big and so distant they can't imagine having a close relationship with Him. So we endeavored a couple weeks ago to notice in James 4 and verse 8 that if we draw near to God, He'll draw near to us. We just have to learn how to draw near to God. It is entirely possible. And then we noticed a couple weeks ago how that a shallow approach to Jesus hinders many in their faith. Many entertain God because of friends, because of family, or some, or some kind of social aspect, and are never really convicted by sin or by the truth or by the Lord or by His resurrection or by His, by his purpose for us on this earth. And so we look deeper into that. Last week, Brother Larry helped us to understand more about the problem, problem of evil. For some people, evil is a problem because they reason that if God is all-powerful and He's all-loving, then why can't He do something or why won't He do something about evil being in the world? So that's a just a basic misunderstanding of the nature of God and the nature of man and God's will for man. Brother Larry led us in that last week. In John 11, beginning in verse 45, we're going to tackle the problem of prejudice. Prejudice against God, prejudice against Christ, prejudice against God's word, prejudice against the church hinders so many people. And this this reading here and this concentration of verses in John 11 will help us to get started on that. And it is familiar to us, so I thought it would be good to start here in John 11. Verses 45 to 53, okay, and so you will see that in this chapter is the resurrection of Lazarus, and then beginning in verse 45, is the various responses to that resurrection. And so some of, these resur some of these responses to the resurrection helps us to see the prejudice that people had against Christ. And so what we want to do is notice the problem and then the priest that's involved here and then the prophecy that he makes, and then we'll go from there. In verses 45 through 48 of John 11, we're going to see the problem wherein prejudice arises, the problem. And then in verses 49 and 50, we'll see the priest, the high priest, Caiaphas, who's involved here. And then in verses 51 and 52, we'll see the prophecy that Caiaphas makes. And then we'll end up on verse 53, and then hopefully we'll have some time to make some practical observations uh, at the end. So noticing here in John 11:45, notice before we get to the problem, there's something that is of a blessing here. Notice that some friends of Mary, you see it here in John 11, some friends of Mary, they saw what Jesus did. Notice that in verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, 
who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. So before we get to the problem, notice that blessing there. That's a positive aspect. Notice that. This is how it ought to be. This is how this was designed. We've been talking a little bit lately about, about how we've got to be evidence-based when, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. Well, this is what is being done here by some of Mary's friends who were Jews. They saw what Jesus did, and they, they believed. That, that was the, the design of Jesus' miracles. You remember over in John 20, 30 and 31, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Look back with me to John 2, right quick, John 2, looking down to verse 23, John 2, 23. Now, while he was in, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, John 2, 23, many believed in his name because... They saw the signs that he was doing. See, this is, this is how it ought to go. This is how it ought to go. We ought to be able to see the evidence and then believe. Look at John 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you are doing unless God is with him. That's how it ought to go. These signs that Jesus did ought to lead you to uh, faith in God. But there's a problem here, going back to John 11 now. There's a problem because some did not believe. And so let's pick up on this. <clears throat> John 11:46, 46, 46 says, But... But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Obviously, they're going to report this to the Pharisees with the evil intentions. Okay, so some did not uh, believe. So the problem here is hardness of heart. This is all this can be. It's hardness of heart. And so they just refuse uh, to believe. There are several... Um, mentions of, of several things that we could say in this regard. Do you remember in Acts 7, at the end of the chapter where they were going to stone Stephen, it says concerning those Jews that they were, um, they were stiff-necked and um, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You just couldn't penetrate their mind. They, regardless of what Stephen was saying, uh, even the signs that, that Stephen was able to do, still, uh, they were uncircumcised and heart and ears, and they were, um, they were just hard-hearted. Okay. They were stiff-necked, stiff-necked. They, they would not look one way or another. They, just, they, just, they had this little box they were looking into, and they would not see anything else. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 and 2, Paul spoke of some in the last days whose uh, heart and conscience would be seared as with a hot iron. Okay. Just hardened as if you were going to sear something uh, with a hot, hot iron. Okay. So that's the problem here is prejudice and hard-heartedness 
here. Now this, going back to John 11 here, notice that this is in spite of the signs. Again, this is in spite of the signs. Notice verse 47. Uh, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. Okay, this would be the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. They gathered the council together and said, what are we to do for this man performs many signs? There it is. Prejudice against Jesus in spite of the fact they could not deny what he was doing. They could not deny uh, the miracle in spite of the signs. Okay. And so this is the problem, prejudice. This is what we're thinking about together this evening. And, and right in front of them are these signs. We noticed this a couple weeks ago, but if you jump over to John 12 and verse 37, a similar occasion or a similar statement is made. It says, uh, John 12, 37, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still not, did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah, John 12, 38, might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what uh, he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then verse 40, John 12, he, he has blinded their eyes, hardened their hearts, they see with their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Well, if the gospel will penetrate the heart, then we can receive the spiritual healing and forgiveness from God. But if, if it will not penetrate the heart, it's just not going to happen. So this is the problem here, problem of prejudice, problem of prejudice in spite of the signs that were being done. These same Jewish leaders are at work um, even in the early part of the book of Acts. And you recall in Acts 3 that Peter and John heal a lame man. And then they will detain Peter and John. Eventually they will beat them and release them. But they detain them. And they, it's very similar. Turn over to Acts 4 for a second. Just in regard to this problem of hardness that we're talking about. In Acts 4, verse uh, 16, these same Jewish leaders, look, look at this. They conferred with one another, Acts 4, 15, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. See, see how prejudiced, prejudiced they were? They could not deny the signs. They couldn't deny the signs of Peter and John. Then they couldn't deny what Jesus was doing, but still they would not, they would not, they would, they would not bend. Okay? It, it could not touch them. This in spite of the signs. This is really... Uh, kind of sad to see, isn't it? But this is the problem. So here in verses uh, 45 to 48, notice that we can see the problem they were having concerning the hardness of heart. Now, part of this problem, before we leave verses 45 to 48, let's read together, again, 47 and 48 together, back in John 11, 47 and 48. We're going to be able to see a big part of their problem here, a big reason for their 
prejudice. Let's read this together, 47 and 48 of John 11. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Now this gets to the real root of their fear, the real root of their cause of prejudice. Rome occupied the known land in those days. Okay. But Rome had made an agreement with the Jews that they could sort of just handle their own folks. They could have their own courts. They could have various courts. One of the highest courts for the Jews was this council or this, this Sanhedrin. They, they could just manage their affairs unless Rome needed to get involved. Okay. The fear of the Jews here was that if, if people kept following Jesus, then their position, their political position that they were enjoying, and their place would be taken away by Rome. Okay, this, is, this is a big concern uh, for them. Right. What do you think they mean here? What do you think it means here when it says in verse uh, 48, the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. What does it mean place? We think it means place. Okay, their position, because they're enjoying quite a bit of authority over, you know, pretty much the Jewish people were listening to these folks, these guys, these Pharisees, these Sanhedrin, these, these, these chief priests, this, this high priest. Okay. Yeah, by this time... Those men were holding a place of a sort of go-between between the Jewish nation and the Roman leadership. Yeah. So they were, they enjoyed that position of straddling the fence, as it were, and get the best of both worlds. Yeah, it had gotten so corrupt in the Jewish religion by Jesus' day that these, these priest appointments were political appointments. The Romans had a lot to do with who is, who is where and who's being appointed and and they're serving the Roman government and also trying to hang on to their power in this Jewish religion. That's right. The place here could refer to a more literal place. Turn your Bible over to Acts chapter 6 for a second. Just as a, just as a thought here. But one of the uh, reasons that Stephen is seized, the Jews spoke like this in Acts 6, beginning in verse 12. It says, And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. I wonder if they're talking about the temple there. And I wonder if back here in John 11, 
Are they concerned that the Romans would come in and take away their daily occupation of the temple, the temple area? The temple area was where they would daily meet, and this is where, where they would uh, hold a lot of their meetings and, um, and give out their rulings and, and you know, show their power. And so they're afraid that the Romans are going to come and take away not only their position, but also maybe even their, the literal place that they had there, the temple area, which was huge by this time. Maybe there are some versions that translate sanctuary. Temple or sanctuary, okay. Holy sanctuary, all right. That's what Rome destroyed, you know. Yeah, eventually Rome... Rome destroys this very place. Okay. Now, before we leave this, this is a problem here. Problem of prejudice. Prejudice even in spite of the, of the signs. That's how deep the prejudice, the hardness of heart was. But mixed in here is this, um, this obsession with power. Having to have, I don't want to let go of my position. And remember how often Jesus warned against this with his disciples, just constantly warning. He told them in Matthew 20, for example, in 25 and 26, 26, he said, in my kingdom, it's not, going to be like, it's not going to be like the Gentiles and their authority. He said, the greatest in my kingdom is going to be who? It's going to be your servant. That's right. The, the, the ones I'm going to prize highly, my the ones I'm going to be close to are going to be those who serve. Okay? Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many, Matthew 20 and verse 28. Well, these, this council here and these Pharisees and chief priests and this high priest, they were on the very opposite end of what Jesus is teaching there. And he's warning us and warning his disciples, this is not the way. Don't let the world get into the church. Don't follow the ways of the world in, in this regard. And yet some, some still do. Some still do. So, Jesus said in Matthew 23 and verse 8, Only one is your teacher and one is your master and all ye are brethren. And that, that ought to just settle it right there. Ought to just, ought to just fix our heart and fix our our approach to life uh, totally. Okay, so verses 45 to 48 here, the problem, the problem of prejudice and how it gets mixed in there with this lust uh, for power. Now verses, verses 49 and 50, we have Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas started uh, ruling us in, in, in this position about A.D. Uh, 18. He continued about A.D. 36 to 37. As we said, he's still there in the book of Acts after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead, gone back to the right hand of the Father. Caiaphas is still, Caiaphas is still around. He's still being a nuisance to Peter and John. So he rules for a while. And he has the answers. Okay, we're going to look at this here in verses 49 and 50. In other words, it, it's a perplexing problem here. People are beginning to follow Jesus more and more and more if this continues, then we're going to lose our place and our position here. So Caiaphas, he has the, he has the answer. Let's see what he says here in John eleven forty nine. 49. But one of them, Caiaphas, see that, John eleven forty nine. 49? Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, 
Okay. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Okay. So notice how he begins. You ever, have you ever met someone like Caiaphas? In other words, he says, you guys are a bunch of dummies. Okay. You know nothing at all. You don't understand. The answer is simple. Okay. This is not difficult. All we've got to do is get rid of Jesus. Okay. That was his solution. Right. So this is Caiaphas, the high priest. Can you imagine what the Lord God thinks of all this going on? But this is his, his answer. Now notice what he says here in John 11, uh, 49 and 50. He says, it is better or expedient for you that one man should die for the nation and not that the whole nation should perish. Well, this shows us how corrupt this ideal is. Sometimes nowadays it's called the greater good. You ever heard that? The greater good. This is what Caiaphas is working off of. The greater good. Guys, for the greater good. Okay. Never mind that you're going to have to be absolutely cruel and murderous and unjust in doing this. But for the greater good. For the greater good, this is what needs to happen. It's better, it's more expedient for one man to die for the nation than for the whole nation to, to perish. You see. What do, you, do you subscribe to this idea of a greater good? Should this be uh, used in the church? Has it ever been used in the church? Is it proper to get rid of one man for the greater good of the whole people? Catholicism does it? Okay. What'd you say, Paul? Well, hurry. Explain yourself. You're saying sometimes principles are overlooked for the for the greater good of unity. Okay. okay. Let's keep it um, toward just a person for right now, because what Caiaphas is talking about is he's saying this one person needs to go for the greater good of everybody else. Okay. Now, is that something that God subscribes to? Is that something God encourages us to think about? Uh, the idea of disfellowship is taught in 1 Corinthians 5, but what's the purpose of disfellowship? Try to save that brother. So we're not trying to send him away. Certainly not trying to kill him. Okay. So is there ever a situation where God would say, you need to send this one away for the greater good 
of the whole. Yeah, I'm talking about has God has God has God um, has God uh, commanded us to use this principle? not thinking of their heavenly home. Some things that would help us think about this greater good business. You know, 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, God would have how many men to be saved? All men. Okay. All men. Second okay. uh, Peter 3 verse 9, he's not willing that any should perish. All should come to repentance. As Paul's discussing the local church in 1 Corinthians 12, about verse 25, he says, Every man should have the same care one for another. No schism in the body. Same care, same care, same care. So, Caiaphas is way off, way off here. He's way off. And anyone who would subscribe to the idea of a greater good would be opposing God in the most um, uh, cruel way. You know. Um, now, Brother Paul, I, I don't doubt that religious people will compromise a principle thinking that that will keep things unified. But if you compromise anything of God's, it's not really unity. It's, you may, you're forming a union, okay, but it's not biblical unity if we, if we compromise a principle to try to keep unity. They, they know that he's a good man. They know he's doing signs from God and yet willing to, to uh, exile, to kill a, a good man in order to keep your position and your power, whatever else you're enjoying. People pleasing. Prejudice well, against. Fear. Fear well, it's a fear. That's where prejudice has its roots, or the root of prejudice is fear. They, these these folks are fearful, fearful. So it boils down to two options for Caiaphas. Option number one: kill Jesus. Option number two: lose our nation. Okay. One why he didn't consider the third option. What's the third option? Yeah, believe. 
You know, you just want to scream at Caiaphas and say, you know, you've got a third option. You can believe. You can, you can, you can set down your, your pride and your prejudice and just believe. And you, you're saying they have picked up on the spiritual nature of what Jesus is talking about. I'm saying they have not picked up on it. Well, I, I'll say it this way. Their, their mind is on a physical exactly. uh, ruling. We allow Jesus to do what he's doing. Mm -hmm. He's going to replace us. Yeah. We're going to lose our place in our nation, not because everything's going to disappear, but because he's going to take our place. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus is here. He's talking about serving. He's talking about sacrifice. He's talking about love. And they're thinking, what is, where is this guy coming from? You know, that's not going to help us overcome the Romans. And so they're, they're saying if people keep following him, we're not going to have a chance. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. It's yeah. the same thing everybody was wanting during that time. Ever since the Grecians, they took over and, and corrupted everything. The Greeks killing the priests and doing what they wanted to, slaughtered the hog on the, on the altar. They wanted deliverance from Rome, but they were afraid to get it. Yep, yep. So now let's look at uh, the next couple of verses here, 51 and 52, and notice the prophecy. Okay, so Caiaphas has, met, has given his answer. Now John, the biographer here, John giving a biography of Jesus, he takes over here, and let's see what, see what he says. Back down here in John eleven fifty one. 51. Uh, now this is John speaking here. Okay. He did not say this, John talking about Caiaphas. He did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only. Okay. But also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So here is the prophecy of Caiaphas. All right, and this is this is absolutely um, this is absolutely interesting to think about. God is using Caiaphas to speak a truth, to speak the truth. Okay, does Caiaphas know that he's speaking the truth about Jesus' death? No, he he's. He's, um, what do they say, unwittingly being used. He's, he's in an involuntary way, Caiaphas is speaking the truth. By saying that one man should die for the nation, he's actually speaking the truth that, yes, this is what God has in mind for Jesus to die, not only for the Jewish nation, but also for the Gentiles as well. Okay. But doesn't this show just how absolutely amazing God is? It's just amazing. I mean... Think about it. He's, God is saying, okay, yeah, I can foretell the future. Okay. But this is so easy for me to do, the Lord says, that I can even use an evil man to foretell the future. Okay. Caiaphas prophesied. God's, it's almost as if, you know, uh, God said, I can, I can tell the future with both hands tied behind my back. I'll just, I can just use an evil man. To, to speak the truth. 
you know. And so this is what he does here. picking up on it. The very thing they're trying to avoid is the very thing that God's going to bring upon them. Remember Jesus in Matthew 24, he says, see, see all these buildings here, this temple? This, this is going down. And it did go down A.D. 70. It went down. You know, the, the, uh, the Roman ruler Titus, he brought in, and it, it was a huge destruction. The siege of Jerusalem plus the destruction of the temple. All these things they're trying to avoid by getting rid of Jesus, actually, is the very thing Jesus said would come to pass. It's, it's the destruction around them had basically nothing to do with the Christians. It was the Jewish people who were Yeah, the destruction was upon the... Yeah, it was upon the rebellion of the Jewish people. Yeah. God came down hard on the Jewish people because the gospel came to them first. They should have recognized the Messiah uh, right off. They should have been leading in it. And so God was very disappointed in, in them. So, but notice, you know, uh, I heard one older preacher say one time, he said, he said, you know, back in, you remember uh, King of Moab, Balak, and Balak saw God's people coming and they were a threat. And so he asked the prophet Balaam to uh, come and curse these people and God said don't go with them Balaam but Balaam eventually went with them and then what happened to Balaam on the way God spoke to him to the mule. how many times did he hit his mule his donkey three times and then God spoke to Balaam through the donkey so if God can speak through a dumb donkey he can speak through somebody that's even dumber like Caiaphas here but it's amazing what God can do, though. That's the thing to get out of this, is there's nothing he cannot do. And this, he's showing us here in speaking through uh, Caiaphas. Now, was Caiaphas, his motives, were they good or bad? Now, he was being mean and vicious. He, he, was, uh, he was in total opposition to God. But what did God do with his vicious motive? Well, you remember the statement that Joseph made to his brothers? What did Joseph say to his brothers? You, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. This is, this is along those, that same path. This is how God can work. Okay. When men try to make it evil, God can make it good. He's doing this once again here with Caiaphas and his... He, come, he steps forward. You dummies... We've got the answer here. All we've got to do is get rid of Jesus. But God is turning a flip on him. He, God is turning the corner on him. And it's really turning things upside down on him. Now notice here that the purpose of his prophecy is really meaningful to us. And so let's read it again here in John eleven fifty two, That Jesus would die for the nation, not only for the nation only, for the Jews only, but also 
but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That would be the Gentiles. That would be the Gentiles. So yes, Jesus is dying for the Jews, but also for uh, the Gentiles. Gather into one. The one, one what? One church. Ephesians 4, verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called, and one hope you're calling. So gather into one, into one. That was going to be the impact of Jesus' death. Look back to John 10. Jesus' own words in John 10, verse 16. Jesus said, And I have other sheep. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be, what? One flock, one shepherd. See, these other sheep are the same thing as the scattered children here of John eleven fifty two. Jesus is going to die for everyone so that he can bring those who are responding to his gospel he can bring them all into one. The book of Ephesians does an incredible job showing us that in Ephesians uh, 2 and showing how that Jesus is the head of the body of the church and there's one body, one, one church and, and that was God's purpose here uh, through this prophecy. As Brother Paul was saying, the Romans and the Jews didn't like each other. But in the case of Christ, they came together and worked and did the deed, which is unfortunate. Now, some would say, as, as you see here, God using um, Caiaphas, that Caiaphas did not have a choice in this, that, that uh, this, this would be a, an evidence of predestination that God chose that Caiaphas would be who he is a long time ago and that, um, and that he didn't have a, a, a say in whether he turned out to be evil or not since God used him in this way. So why is that wrong? The gospel call goes to everyone, but not everyone responds. He didn't have a choice to be God's father. If he didn't have a choice, that's right. Man chooses to sin. If Caiaphas didn't have a choice, this would be all. This would be on God. So man has a choice to sin. Caiaphas had a choice as to who he became, and then God, in worked through that choice of Caiaphas and it's really amazing to watch God work and so finally verse 53 says um, from that time on what did it say they sought to kill Jesus so from that day on they made plans to put him to death so you see the problem of prejudice here you see the high priest involved 
you see the prophecy that's made, and then you see their continued pursuit uh, of Jesus. And so as we extend the invitation here in a moment, we will we'll mention some of the lessons we learned from this. Or maybe we'll just talk about it right now. You know, what are some things you would take from this to help us deal with prejudice or help us help someone who's, who's prejudiced against the sacred writings? I mean, think about how important the evidence was here in John 11. And, and that, that's what we do. We, we point people and we're trying to help somebody learn the gospel. It's not about us. It's not about who we are. It's not about what we have done. Okay, it's, it's about what is the truth, you know. Somebody could rightly call me just a dog, you know. I've been called worse. But they, in calling me a dog, they could just say, you're just not living according to the truth. And what I would do is say, well, you're right, okay. I'll just agree with you, okay. If that's right, does that change the truth? It doesn't change the truth. Yeah. The, the truth is the truth. Whether, whether or not you think we're living up to it or not. And so one way to help somebody overcome prejudice is to point to the evidence, point to the scriptures, point to the Lord Jesus, and leave person, people out of it, leave personalities out of it. And that, that tends to help things go along. It's good to be together this evening, and we will be announcing a song here in just a moment. That's an interesting passage. 